Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Listening to a podcast from The Word. Andrew, when I saw you on Friday night, uh, about five o'clock, I said, So you're going to Bestival? Mm-hmm. And you said, Yes. Well, I did. And, and then though. you're looking a bit smiling and, and, and not damp, so Monday morning, so I'm assuming you didn't go. I am a traitor to rock and roll, Dave. I bottled it. Um, I, I did a little bit of light texting early on Saturday, and one of the texts said, it is a hellhole. Do not come within 50 miles of the place. <laughs> and the Isle of Wight is only about 50 miles away anyway from where I live. So, um, oh, yeah, uh, This I, I was presumably sent by a veteran of Glastonbury, somebody who, who, yeah. who knew what a hellhole yeah. was. Yes. Um, but I think when Bestival becomes a hellhole, it's a different proposition to Glastonbury. Glastonbury, you can go and wander high on the hills and go and sit in a tiny tea tent. Bestival, like a as lonely goat Like a lonely goat As Matt was pointing out earlier, Bestival is basically a gigantic funnel and everything will just pool in the bottom and be trudged into uh, a, a thin grey gruel by uh, people who are waiting to see Grace Jones come on. So I gave it a miss, actually, and I'll probably be drummed out of word for, the, uh, for my cowardice. Not only, not only a funnel, though, but a funnel on an island. Yes. Yeah. So unlike any other... That's that know, status quo is, song, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, as is, no, I was thinking, when you said hellhole, I was thinking of a spinal tap. Right. <laughs> um, but, um, but uh, yeah, it's, a, it's on an island, so it's not even just a... Being uh, the Isle of Wight. Yeah, yes. but it's not even like, so Glastonbury, any other festival, when it gets too much, it's like, how far's the car park? Let's go home. Yeah, this is uh, it. It's how far's the car park, when's yeah. the ferry run? Well, I have a special interest in this, because my, uh, my eldest daughter has gone. And, come back uh, yet. and uh, no, I texted her this morning, um, and she went with boyfriend on on Friday and and with various friends, and they booked Hiked or hair since. Um, I think there was a phone call. I think there was a phone contact on Friday going, "It's a bit wet." Um, Can you pick uh, me up, please? But their ferry. Ah, that famous Hepworth understatement is run right through the family. Yeah. Their return uh, ferry journey was booked for Monday night. Oh, God. So, dear God, they're going to, you know, they're really going to look as if they've returned from the Western Front, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. when, when they've done that one, you know. Because yes. what intrigues me, being somebody who takes a completely media, you know, a view through the media of these things, because I don't go to them, you know, yes. I read about them. 
what amazes me is how little coverage there is of Best of All. When, Gla- when Glastonbury was on, if you wanted to know what the weather was doing at Glastonbury, you went online on the BBC or whatever, and you knew immediately. Yeah. Best of All is hardly any of that. But well, it's my... Yeah, it was, sorry. There's a little bit of it, but I think um, it, it, the, sort of, the, the coverage of festivals becomes kind of self-perpetuating, doesn't it? The BBC covers Glastonbury because it's got a sponsorship hookup, and the same with... And it does Reading because that's where the new bands are, so Radio 1 ne- needs to be there. And it all just snowballs. Yeah, but There's I no particular hook for Best of All, is there? I think it's actually just a little bit more... I'm a bit more cynical about it. People cover Glastonbury because uh, Alan Yentop and the BBC... Get a, get a million free tickets. Yeah. I'd like to see in the BBC People. report how many BBC employees go to Glastonbury. Oh, it's hundreds, literally. Hundreds. Oh, it's more than hundreds. And, and, well, yeah, it's, it's about sixty percent of the festival is made People, of BBC yeah, employees. Yeah. People cover the Notting Hill Carnival because oh, they open the door. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there they are. One day, Dave. <laughs> Dave, one day you, sh- you should go to Glastonbury and you will. You should just look at the number of gigantic uh, BBC. Mega liner Winnebago's parked outside, and you will you'll come straight back and write a gigantic feature about how the license. <laughs> That's all coming out of my license fee, is it? Yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas none of them go to festival, and well, very few of them yeah. go now, to interesting. the park, and very few of them go to Reading and Leeds. Hmm. BBC connection with festival this year is that the Archers, of which I'm a devoted listener, yes. in order to increase its engagement with youth. You know, because Ambridge is the only village in Britain which has a kind of net inflow of young people. <laughs> Everywhere else, they're leaving to yeah. go to the big city. Not in Ambridge, they're all staying there to run organic businesses yeah. and live very full lives. Much like the real countryside. Absolutely, yes. like the real countryside. Anyway, Alice Aldridge and Christopher Carter have gone to Bestival. So there have been two episodes of The <laughs> Archers this it, weekend. Why is it? Allegedly. Is it only, why is it only in fiction do people get, have the same initial? I <laughs> It's like Peter Parker. Peter it's like Parker, every, yeah. everybody, everybody, <laughs> yeah, everybody in comics. Anyway, so they've they've been hunkering down in in a tent at Bestival. Two episodes from there, not a hint of apocalyptic weather at all. You know, I don't know how they're going to cover this in retrospect. If slowly stories are going to leak out about it was like Passchendaele, you know, they're going to have to back refer to it over the next few weeks without the decent singing, presumably. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> now, and uh, I understand Amy Winehouse is she still working? Yes, she is. Mm-hmm. Actually, headlined best of all. What Saturday night or something like that? Last night, Sunday night. Sunday night, turned up an hour late. How do you do that? He turned up an hour late, and then. <laughs> Well, no, is, that, mean, is that what you say to your daughter? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, well, my daughter's Everybody. not getting paid £100,000 or whatever to, to turn up. <laughs> and uh, and turn up an hour late, so truncated set, finished with rehab, and then climaxed with throwing a drink at the audience. Who by this stage yeah. didn't notice. So what? <laughs> so, Cheers, I mean, Amy. Do you think this has gone... This hour, The question I'm going to ask is, has this gone beyond the, beyond the bounds of kind of acceptable rock and roll wild behaviour to actually be actively insulting the audience who've paid to see you? I think you're absolutely right, Dave. I, th- I think, um, you know, it's all perfectly right to be videotaking crack on the front of the, uh, Daily, you know, the Daily Mirror, but when you start throwing a glass of Jack Daniels at the audience, at the audience. things really have got to a pretty pitch. Well, <laughs> Dean Martin never did that, did he? I think of all the major no, drinkers Ma- all, that have. All Dean Martin did was uh, wait until after the show and, 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 and batter people, didn't he? There was the Rat Pack lot were terrible for uh, you know. Never mind. Not it, members of the audience. Dead? Are they all dead? Before they are all dead. They are all dead. Oh, well, let me see. Let's get into so, Sammy Davis dead. dead. Frank yes. Sinatra dead. Dean Martin dead. dead. Peter Lawford dead. Dead. <laughs> yeah. Joey Bishop. 
know. He's just, uh, well, yeah. can I just say that Joey was always he acceptable. Never made a thing at you. Joey was the, you know, was the still small voice of calm in the. In, in, and in Andrew the Dickinson was a, I think a it's complete to, none. It's <laughs> fair to say that those guys could certainly hold their own compared to the Winehouses, and certainly, you know, in terms of getting Larry uh, with members of the audience. A lot worse. Oh, well, okay. But you might be right. Yeah. You might isn't be right. The, isn't the point is that when somebody like Amy Winehouse does this, the amount of people that she actually sells records to is huge compared yes. to the amount of people who actually care about somebody throwing a, a drink at them. Yeah. Because there's only a really small, less than 1% of her, of her record-buying audience are actually in the audience of best of yes. I think more to the point... Is she going to be? Um, it, how does she t- progress from this? Where does where does she go? Is but there any? Is there any? Can she return? go any further? Uh, well, yeah. I'm amazed. You know, she's had this summer of kind of highly publicised pain and anguish and illness and so forth. But throughout this, she's kept working. Well, every she's, weekend well, she's, she's been on. toddling off to some festival. Hasn't she's you? kept working. Uh, <laughs> she's kept turning up late. She's cancelled shows. Uh, the French threatened to sue her. The French threatened to be sued by the French. <laughs> the, uh, certain of the shows have been, shall we say, slightly subpar. Um, you know, can you call it working? She's I don't know. Last time I saw Are you saying she's not holding down a nine to five? I'm saying that perhaps her punctuality, uh, I'm saying that her annual review might perhaps show areas for improvement. Now, wouldn't that be good? Pop, pop, yes. Star, yes. pop star appraisals. Absolutely, yeah. Amy. Three, 360 appraisals by fans, down, yeah. management, and colleagues. <laughs> yes, once feedback. a year she's yes. called in. Yeah. Yes. That's a really good yeah. idea. How would you put the year in your own terms, Amy? Mm. How do you feel it's well, gone? On the plus side, yeah. <laughs> there's been lots of coverage. Where, where, yeah. do you, where do you see yourself, Amy, in a yeah. couple of years' What time? are your strengths and weaknesses? <laughs> and how can you work on your weaknesses to turn them into strengths, Amy? That's my question to you. That's a very good idea. HR reports. Yes. yes. On Popstar. They said I had to go to HR. I said no. Talking no, to no. people who, who require that, uh, I see Brittany uh, headlined the Video Music Awards in the United States yesterday, the mm. MTV annual yeah. thing. So last year's um, show was distinguished by the most kind of out-to-lunch performance by her, wasn't it? Where she really looked as if she didn't know what was going on. But now she's back, back, back! And got loads of rewards! The the, the key point with Britney this year is, never mind that she's back, 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 she's thin. She's no longer... She's no longer carting around all that latte weight. She's thin. That's the headline fact that we're taking away. That's that's so true. Yeah, that's the... And of course, all the the magazines that... um, that kind of take the temperature of whether people are supposed to be up or down yeah. in show business are largely women's magazines. Mm. And what is actually going on is they're all saying she looks fabulous or she looks dreadful. What that basically means is thin she looks thin yes. or she looks as if she put on weight. Yeah? Mm. And the only excuse to put on weight is if you're having a child. Yeah. Uh, because that's all right. That's kind of... And you know, if you don't lose it as soon as you've had the child... It's, yes. it's uh, your despair, isn't it, and your tragedy if you haven't immediately lost the weight and looking so perky. So that's basically you know, your kind of mental health in show business, if you're a woman, yeah. is, is, is gauged on do you look thinner and sleeker without looking ill. Yeah. It's just that, it's, you know, it's, there's probably four inches or whatever that you can allow to move in before you mm. slightly get, so look as if you're at two and a half door. pounds is the... Uh, yeah, you see, because I also, I also think the thing that's going on with uh, thinness in show business is it becomes a competitive sport. Yeah, and that um, you have to be nearly as thin as the thinnest person in whatever your field is, because that person, by contrast, you will look big. Right. It's like the members of the cast of Friends got thinner over the years. 
because there was always one getting thinner. Yeah. And so the other one got the other ones got nearer to them. The only one who didn't get thinner was uh, Matthew um, Matthew Perry. <laughs> Matthew Perry. He's <laughs> my favourite one. <laughs> Whose who's weight went up and yeah. down. You know, it's hilarious when you watch your repeats of Friends. You think, where is this in the series? Do you, do you you know, wait until Matthew Perry walks on and uh, then I'll work it out. So you can, you, you can kind of unconsciously gauge where we are in the timeline by exactly how fat people yeah, are. I think you probably can. Like Selma says in, in The Simpsons, is it me or did it just get fatter <laughs> in here? <laughs> <laughs> so Britney Spears, we shall, uh, you know, we shall observe with interest. Russell Brand was emceeing it. Yeah, very... Uh, started off with uh, an opening monologue that uh, advised Americans to vote for Barack Obama. Yeah. That'll yeah. work. Yeah. Thanks, Hollywood, for helping. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Russell. Yeah. But also, you see, it made me think one thing. And, Andrew, you've lived in the United States. Yes. And uh, you can confirm or deny this. No, he didn't. He lived in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, that's ah, true. Point, An yeah. island <laughs> off the coast, don't yeah. um, But even from the vantage point of Manhattan, it is my view <laughs> that Americans don't take the slightest... Uh, pay the slightest attention to anybody foreign on any subject at all. Um, that's pretty much the size of it. Although <laughs> it was interesting to see Mike, no. Huck- it, see Mike Huckabee railing against European ideas at the Republican National Convention. Things like, I don't know, popular revolutions, horrible European ideas like that, you know, like they, removal of monarchs. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you just go to America. They're not interested. The, the outside world just becomes this kind of vague rumour. People are not really actually that convinced that it exists. So absolutely. So yeah. the mad bloke with mad hair turns mm-hmm. up at the beginning of the VMAs. If, if Russell Brand really wanted to help accent. Barack, he would, have, he would have popped up and said, everybody vote McCain, I want to have sex with Sarah Palin. And that, that, you know, that, that would have helped... Uh, you know, Obama far more. But they don't take any notice. It always intrigues me, you know, when I catch kind of Letterman or uh, the John Stewart programme yeah. or Conan O'Brien or whatever. There's never any non-American guests, are there? Actually, that's not true. The editor of The Times was on uh, The Daily Show once. Oh, Incredible. Once. And it was like, we've got the editor of... The, you know, they've got newspapers in England. Isn't it hilarious? <laughs> that kind of thing. The London um, Times. To be fair, also, the, regu- the, uh, the Daily Show has an English regular correspondent, John Oliver. Yes, that's Brilliant. True. He's fantastic. He's very he was good. He's reporting from outside the Minneapolis airport men's room um, for the uh, Republican <laughs> convention the other day, um, and it was fantastic television. Incredibly cruel. So, yeah, the kind of smart guy show. You but know, but, the, the but every, every week on like Jonathan that. Ross, there will be one American guest. Yeah, there yeah. Just will be. There won't, you know, yeah. it's regarded as part of the world view. So, it, in the kind of in the smart guy, you know, vaguely liberal shows, there'll be English people. There'll never be a French person. Why on earth would you have a French person? Well, on mainstream news, main, mainstream news, um, foreign news. My experience was that um, foreign news was the, the Middle East and Israel, and that was about it, really. And very little else happened. Remember, we got a report on the Dunblane massacre, and that, you know, as if to say, hey, it happens over there as well. But right. uh, that was it. So Carla Bruni turning up on the cover of Vanity Fair is a very rare breakthrough for a, is, uh, for a foreigner. Is she on the American Vanity Fair, though? That, good question. Because remember, we all went mad. Oh, look, it's Patsy Kensington and Liam Gallagher on the front of Vanity Fair. No, it wasn't. Not in America. Only, only Notting uh, Hill. Absolutely. Also, it's around here. Kind of like the arm. International models, the only people who do turn up on the front of American magazines, Vogue and stuff, don't they feature at... I suppose so. so. When there were supermodels back in those days. A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. Last night's television, uh, I'm not going to get into sporting areas, but did you see Soccer Aid? No. I'm sorry, you missed Street, Matt. (laughs) Soccer Aid was where uh, a a former pro-celebrity... Uh, England team f- took on a former pro celebrity uh, oh, yeah. rest of the world team at Wembley Stadium in AD Unicef. Very good cause, yeah. and you know, no argument with that. Go- 
But it's hilarious. Now, I just heard that Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay had to go off. Who did he captain? It was, then? It was Captain was... Rest of the World, right, okay. obviously. Yeah. The rest of the World was packed with vengeful Celts. I'd like to be the rest of the world, please. Cue it up, you know. And so the England team had had Shearer and Sheringham and and Seaman. But it, it, it also had Jamie Thigston, and he had the wonderful sight, honestly, in the second half, the Ralph best Little. goal. Ralph Little wasn't there. Oh, good, good. was when McFly's Danny Jones crossed it from the right Maybe wing yeah. to Alan Shearer, who put it away. And it must have been Danny Jones' an absolute highlight of his life. Because the commentary say? I couldn't believe how good or how fit... Most of these showbiz celebrities were, yeah. you know, they've yeah. done a bit of training. Yeah. But clearly, it was not a joke to these guys. Yeah, was, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Just go and put on an English shirt or a rest of the world shirt or whatever. Was it better the, than the Andorra game? Well, that's the next question. <laughs> you know, that if England fail against Croatia on Wednesday, I suggest we should put out the yes. same side. Put out the so for the rest of the group, yeah. we just have a laugh. Yeah. Okay? So we have Alan well, Shearer, Elton John, you know, yeah. anybody who wants to turn up, Hugh Grant, anybody can play. Well, but at least put a few quid on the game. Yes. We've got Fabio, we could have Groove Rider as well, he's out of jail now. Yeah. 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 You know, he must be fit. Absolutely right, well, all that press-ups in jail. Oh, yeah. dear God. <laughs> this, is the, this is a man who was put away in Dubai for having a... It's like trace elements of marijuana on his shoe to. or something like that. <laughs> Terrible thing to happen. Uh, but uh, genuinely, it was extraordinary. And Angus Dayton... Now, how old is Angus Dayton? He's got him in his 40s. Oh, knocking on 50, surely. Well, OK. Angus Dayton played the whole of the first half. Now, yeah. you know, it's getting the ugliest manager of the rest of the world only pointed a, out it's a big pitch. Only, yeah. a very, <laughs> only a very cruel person would ask if there was drug testing afterwards. <laughs> I think he did a creditable job. There was right. actually an occasion where uh, Angus Dayton took the ball off Paolo Di Canio. Now, I know Paolo Di Canio is not in his pomp anymore, you know, yeah. but see, you know, I, was, I was genuinely quite impressed by the standard of these people. It's extraordinary. Now, talking also of the showbiz sports interface, which is now an obligation, <laughs> Andy Murray last night beat Nadal. Nadal. Yeah. Remarkable performance. Yeah. What was the first thing he did afterwards? He had to be... Did you see the the the, the, the kind of the, the follow up on Sky? No. He had to he had to have a chat on camera with Will Ferrell. Why? Right. Well, quite as if to kind of validate his success. You know, you're not really a star unless until we the film guy you. from Anchorman has had a laugh with you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It just looked absolutely stupid. They had this the kind notoriously of taciturn Scott. <laughs> yeah, well, no, he was coming out of himself. Oh, now right, he won, okay. you know. But uh, you know, so anyway, it may be all over by the time this podcast goes out. But uh, you know, well, this podcast is available in perpetuity. So, in a very real sense, it will all be over. Right. Everything. Everything. Everything will be all over. over. Yes. A magazine. A website. I should also point out this is the word podcast. <laughs> If you thought you were listening in. to Farming see, Today. I was yes. podcasts that do this. Hello and welcome to the Soundsack. I think, well, I know it's the Soundsack because I've downloaded, downloaded it, it and it's yeah. streamed and so forth. And I kind of know what it is. But anyway, it seems polite to say yeah. it's the word podcast. Come Andrew to the Harrison, top of the hour. Matt Hall, I'm David Hepworth, running through various hot issues of the day. Hot issue of the day on the Word website, wordmagazine.co.uk, was started by Nix a few days ago, who posed the, the trivial question, what is music? We should probably have thought about this before we started the magazine, oh, well, we, really? Because it's we should. 70 issues in, we're up a bit of a gum tree. And he wrote a very, very trenchant post pointing out that he'd been, to, he'd been to the proms, I think. He'd been to hear Simon Rattle and the Berlin Philharmonic uh, performing a Messiaen piece. And he, he said, 
quite a lot of it sounded like random noises, scrapings, and pluckings. Mm-hmm. And and he said, what I want, what he wants to know is when you wander in, into the outer reaches of the musical sphere, away from the certainties of I want to hold your hand, Vivaldi's Four Seasons, or Billie Jean, past Burial and Beyond Sunra. <laughs> Yay, even Beyond, beyond Sunra. <laughs> Do you eventually reach a barrier? Over which there's no music any longer, just sounds and noise. And various people, you know, piled into this debate, talking about the things that they regard as music and the things that they just find rather difficult to take. I'd posit that Sunrise is <laughs> a He's... prime example of that. <laughs> being, being, being described to me once a, a particular Sunrise track, and unfortunately I can't remember which, which LP it took the whole side one of up, but it was a. <laughs> Putting, he sounds like he put a, a horde of angry geese in a tin bath and then kicked them down the stairs. <laughs> so, by the standards of today's conceptual art, that's actually quite a rigorous methodology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Had a beat there. Yeah, too, right. <laughs> Is there anything you listen to, Andrew, that most people would have <laughs> this is difficult? Most people regard as not music. Well, I mean, when, when the Aphex Twin and all that lot came out in the first place, I remember people going, that's not music, that's just awful feedback, uh, silly sounds. Um, and the late John Baldy of Q magazine, it, um, they played it in Q once and he said, well, somebody turn that fax yeah, machine. Somebody get that fax. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but now it actually sounds really tuneful and, and kind of, maybe it's just because I'm familiar with it. Um, it just sounds very tuneful and actually quite comfortable. So I think it, it, these things change over time. I actually think Sun Ra is quite, quite tuneful. By the standards of, for instance, I think somebody on the on the board mentioned the 25-minute My Bloody Valentine feedback freakout, which is just, it literally is designed to be noise. So I suppose the question of is it music or is it not music is, it, it, it depends on two things. Firstly, has somebody designed it? Has somebody deliberately created the sequence of sounds you're about to hear, whether they may be musical and harmonic or completely atonal? And the second is, can you discern any pattern within it? Because the human brain... Yeah. Increasingly, it's thought that the human brain's best uh, talent is for discerning patterns, often patterns that aren't there. And if you can discern a pattern in a series of sounds, then that lends it musicality. If those patterns have been deliberately created by someone, uh, it lends it further musicality. But then where does that leave John Cage's four minutes and 23 seconds of silence, where there is no pattern to be heard, but unless you call a total absence of sound a pattern, um, it certainly has been created by somebody. Is it music? Well, strictly by definition, I suppose it is. I actually just leap in here and point out that in my distinguished career, I, I worked for the record company that once put out an entirely silent single called Silent Night by Son of Pete. And it was silence on one side, 3 minutes 06, and then the B-side was Silent Night, 3 minutes 07. Who's the extended version. It was, <laughs> it was the extended version of Silence, you know. Right. And, uh, some people actually probably paid for it, you know. Yeah. But uh, what about tone also? I was thinking this. Again, uh, flicking around at the telly last night, and uh, again, Simon Rattle and the Berlin Philharmonic. It's the only time he's ever had two mentions on, uh, yeah. on this. Yeah. Did you see it on the programs well, last I, I was. Oh, you were going to mention it. I was, on, I was, no, I was looking at the, uh, at the website, reading that particular thread, yeah. and then turned on... BBC Four, and bang, there he was in his grey-haired pomp, rattling away. Now, and, he, and, he did, and they did two tunes, did they? <laughs> they did two, two yeah. numbers. They did Any Brahms, requests? They did a Brahms <laughs> symphony, and they yeah. did a Shostakovich. Right. Now, a Brahms symphony, most people, whether they like music or not, could kind of take it quite easily. You uh-huh. know? It has recognised, well, as Andrew says, it has a pattern to it, it has a, a tidiness to it. A Shostakovich is, is more out there, undoubtedly. Yeah. But what Shostakovich had going for it, as delivered by the Berlin Phil, 
is it's got a load of musicians playing a load of nice sounding instruments. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is not my bloody Valentine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, making feedback noises. You know, so the sound of a violin, even it's if it's just basically something a nice strange, sound. Yeah, it's basically a nice sound. You know, mm. you kind of you're comforted by it. And and I actually I've got to the stage now where I no longer regard, you know. Somebody's playing a piece of music in order where part of the part of the intention is to irritate me. Yeah. I have no patience with it whatsoever. I think that's a nineteen-year-old thing way to get yeah. attention. You somebody know? pointed out that yeah, on, the, on, the, on, 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 the, on the blog, some, some, sorry, somebody pointed out though that actually um, things do be, things become more easy to listen to. That um, when when they first heard. Uh, Nirvana, never mind. They were like, oh my God, what is this? Yeah. And now it sits on the Radio 2 playlist perfectly well. Yeah. And I can remember the first time I heard Public Enemy Number 1 with that kind of John Coltrane kind yeah. of wine going through it and going to the, to the mate who played me, going, what is this? You know, yeah. And now it's kind of like, oh yeah, brilliant. And then, of course, there was another classical music reference, Stravinsky's Rites of Spring, when that was... Where there were riots. Yeah, where there were riots, but yeah. yeah. So, I know, but there are also... Oh, on, increasingly, Andrew, I find that the music I, um, I like the most is the music that when I first heard it, I thought, that's just not music. Paul Academy is a good case in point. It just sounded like a total cacophony. It's unlistenable the first time you hear it. Give it a couple of goes, and, and, and rapidly, it's your favourite music. And it's the same with a lot of uh, electronic music and rave and all that stuff. I remember hearing Cubic by 808 State for the first time, and it literally sounds like somebody just bashing the keyboard at random. <laughs> and it's simultaneously hard on the ear and fantastically exciting. 18, 20 years later, it sounds as, as, as familiar as, as a, an old lullaby that your mum used to sing it. So, you know, you, 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 you kind of accustom yourself to the more aggressive and the more abrasive stuff. Yeah, you see, you can have annoying elements in things, and you can deal with that. that yeah. As long as there are other elements that are kind of familiar and comforting or mm. rhythmic or so forth. It's when something's made entirely out of annoying elements yeah. that I fall out with it. Andrew, you have played a record in The Office. That nearly, I think at one stage somebody was actually knotting a stout rope and putting it over a beam. <laughs> Wasn't it Orteca? It might have been. Yeah, Orteca. Well, they're now, really, Orteca. Try to explain that. Orteca are really interesting because they meticulously um, play and program and sequence and design music that they do their utmost to make it not sound like music. It's, it's arrhythmic. It surprises you. Job yeah, it pulls. It pulls I, see, I can do loads of things it's that don't sound atonal. like music. I just listen out the window to Pentaville Road. But that what doesn't it doesn't like say, but it doesn't sound like a cacophony. It actually sounds really fascinating. You fall into it. There are li little rhythms present themselves and then disappear. Little melodic tones appear and then vanish. Not for everybody, I'll agree. But I mean, and, and again, this is another band. When I first heard, them, that's just rubbish. That that doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't even at a basic level sound nice. A couple of listens, you actually start to feel the undertow a little bit. And um, I, I became quite addicted to it. And it, the, the most beautiful thing about it is that it doesn't sound like anything else. It, it doesn't really sound like a load of randomly pro programmed music or instruments or noise or whatever, because it isn't. It's all been meticulously put there, just not in the order that your brain is expecting to find it. But what about them? <laughs> now, we all accept that. Matt looking very, very sceptical. No, I got that one. <laughs> There are there, there are all the right notes. I was trying to find that clip to yeah. put it on the thread, and I couldn't find it short enough because yeah. it's so profoundly. Well, see, true. There's another aspect of this as well, which is that um, you know it's, it's the it's the Fotherington Thomas uh, "Hello trees, hello flowers" aspect that oh, nature alone is beautiful and man-made things are hideously ugly. And I think at the bottom at the bottom of our minds, we all still think that the sound of a violin is lovely because it's a natural object. It's made of wood and catgut and all the rest of it. The sound of a synthesizer is horrible because it's made 
made of solder and, you know, programmed and... Maybe. I think we just programmed to think that. Um, but what about, you know, there are things undoubtedly that when you first hear them, they're very strange, and then years later you're perfectly accustomed to them. But what about the things that you first hear that are very strange, and you hear them 30 years later, and they're still very strange? You know, the, the, the case I cited actually on the site is Troutmass Replica, mm. Captain Bifos Magic Man. Mm. Sounds every bit as strange now as it did when it first came out in 1969 or whatever. And, and what you realise, double album, whatever, 25 tracks, there's actually only three listenable tracks. The rest, oh. the rest of it just kind of misfires, yeah. really. You know, because, and the things that are listenable are the things that fall, either by contrivance or accident, into a kind of pattern. Oh. That the ear, just, the ear just finds pleasing. Not pleasing like kind of Vic Damone crooning, you know what I mean? But just there are certain things that fall gently and sympathetically on the ear. And the other things, the, the, the more you chuck them on the ear, the more the ear is going to reject them. Because they're, they're just kind of unharmonious. I've got a, um, I've got a, a, a long time ago bought a double-sided um, split album, but on one side was a, a live um, birthday party yeah. uh, set called Drunk on the Pope's Blood not something you could really play for your mum. And then on the other side is a Lydia Lunch track, and I've literally only ever played that Lydia Lunch track kind of like the first five minutes, twice, in the, all the time I bought it, because every time you think, oh, I'll give it a go now. What, it what is it? Is it screaming and caterwauling? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, it is horrendous. It's, it's, there's no, you know, nothing uh, it could be said And so you it. don't feel, after considering it over, over no. many years, you don't think that Lydia Lunch is right and you, Matt Hall, are wrong. No. You think, actually, I'm right... Got to say that. Got to say that I'm supported in that by most of the record buying <laughs> of the world. You probably are. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it takes something really, uh, you know, it takes something really offensive to make me turn a, a piece of music off. It takes something that really, you know, offends me at a visceral level. But does it offend you, or is it? Does it? Is, I mean, for this, for this piece of Lydia Lunch music, um, I'm making those things with my hands, yeah. listeners. Um, it's the self-indulgence of it that actually affects yes. me. Yeah, but I mean, the, the extent of the self-indulgence is limited to the kind of people who are going to buy a Lydia Lunch record in the first place. So it's not as if it's been forced onto BBC World at nine o'clock on a Friday night. Yeah. We're not, yeah. I mean, I was trying to think. You know, what records have, uh, what pieces of music have, have prompted me to turn it off? And, some, and the, the only thing that ever made me want to smash the radio to pieces was actually hearing "Money for Nothing" by Dire Straits. Um, in the, for the umpteenth time on Radio One. Oh well, that's and that you know. But that's to do with the umpteenth time. It's, isn't well, it? it's not really because it's it's. To, I, I've, I've been thinking about it for years, and and, and it, it was it was the massive disconnect between the obvious musical skill of making the record. You know, he can move his fingers really quickly, and the utter aridity and bumptious, self-satisfied emptiness of the thing. Why, why, is it, why is it self-satisfied? Money for nothing. It's a brilliant record. No, it's, it's a horrible record, no, We're not going to get very far on this conversation. Story. It's got a story. What, what's it got to impart? All it's, all it's got is, is we, we stand in a semicircle admiring the technique of Dire Straits. Not at all. There's hardly any demonstration of technique on Money for Nothing. There is on Sultans of Sway. It made hardly want, any on Money It made me want to smash the radio. Why did it make me want to smash the radio? Well, I think what it made me want to smash the radio is the same reason I might want to smash the radio when I get out of there, Coldplay, nowadays. Yeah. Because you're just overexposed to it. That's what happens nowadays. Is if you, if you're in any way neutral about anything, you hear it far too often. Well, actually, nowadays. this is this so is, it divides you very very quickly. This is uh, you know the, the the question of of whether things are, are musical or not. You, know, you can't disconnect it from the fact that we hear more music now than anybody's ever oh, yeah. heard in history. Sure. You know, it, it used to be that you could play a slightly off chord on an acoustic guitar and it would be worldwide news because people only heard music 
very seldomly compared to the way they do today. And they heard it within, you know, very constrained, um, you know, a very constrained world of sound. You know, there were no gigantic samplers, there were no, um, you know, synthesized orchestras available. So a slightly off note could be major, major news. Now you really have to basically get drunk on the Pope's blood to actually get any attention. (laughs) A magazine, a website, a podcast, the word. I've got on my list of things to talk about, listening to music. I did, a, I did a thing uh, this weekend that, uh, that was quite revolutionary. I've got a little uh, Airport Express um, terminal for, yep. my, for my Mac, which means you plug it into the, you know, the, the electrical socket downstairs <clears throat> and you plug that into the hi-fi so yep. you can listen to your iTunes library, yep. which is two floors above, yep. um, down, downstairs, mm-hmm. because I don't have a record player downstairs or anything to play music on really. And so, Saturday afternoon, pouring with rain, um, no football or anything like that, sat there, sound of young as Linton, um, sat there on the sofa, reading a book and listening to the iTunes coming from upstairs. Shuffle? No, not on shuffle, but with no means for me to dictate what it was going to play next. And, uh, I, I, you know, to either play it again or to get annoyed with it or not want to hear it or anything. I just sat on the sofa. And it just, it played six Django Reinhardt songs and then it played, I can't remember, it was doing it alphabetically or whatever. And, um, and it was the most relaxing experience of listening to music I've had in years because mm. I wasn't in control. Mm. And the thing about the iPod and all these things... It's, it's made you acutely conscious of wanting to be in control and having no patience with anything. Wasn't it just ah. like listening to the radio, though? Well, no, because the radio wouldn't play six Django Reinhardt okay. songs oh. and the radio would have a voice in between and the radio would go to the news. See, and uh, the radio would do a mix that was desperately trying to ingratiate itself with me, yeah. whereas this wasn't. This was yeah. just a bunch of records. This is like living next door to somebody that you could hear. You know, their records. <laughs> but this, this, this is, I mean, this is the reason that they, they moved the shuffle button to the top of the iPod menu, which is they realised very quickly that most people were listening like this. That the idea that you want to be in control kind of isn't strictly accurate. What people want is not the freedom of choice. They want the freedom from choice. They want the freedom from to sit there and go, oh, God, what, you know, what's coming up next? I better turn the record over. They broadly know that the music they put into their computer is music they like, and they're quite happy to play it. That's how we listen to music in the office. It tends to be whoever gets in first, sticks their iPod in the dog, presses play, and it'll often stay on literally all day. Nobody ever says, for God's sake, take that off, because you know that the next song will be completely unrelated. But this wasn't on shuffle, you see. This went further. So yeah. it, play- it just come to me. It played a whole Dave Mason and Cass Elliot record. Yeah. Which, if I'd been in control, I would have listened to two tracks and then flicked on to something else. I didn't. Well, it's just I listened a- to all of it. So I got on the wavelength of whatever it was that was being played. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I devoted a little bit of kind of, a little bit of my time and attention to it in a way that I wouldn't have done had I had a remote next to it. The, I, I would I, always been searching for yeah. the perfect tune, and you kind of can't do that. Mm. I, I can give you the, the mirror image um, of, of, of that in the world of exciting iPod future developments. A mate of mine DJed at a wedding the other week, week the other weekend, and he did it um, from uh, you know sat out among the uh, among the crowd. He did it using his iPhone. He controlled the music with his iPhone, so he could be he's on the dance floor choosing the tracks, Is and it, it's all playing essentially from a server. Was he not haunted by the terrible fear? I know I would be. You know, if, if, if anybody put my iTunes on to play in a public space and I hadn't gone through the songs first, my terror would be. 
a podcast would turn up. You know, know what I mean? He'd done that. Or somebody, somebody with a demo or whatever, you know, or one of the kids talking. Yeah. Or just anything could or have worse, been. with the iPhone, the, the terror that he'd go it's... to the toilet and suddenly find himself broadcasting across the PA. <laughs> it wasn't talking into the iPhone, it was <laughs> controlling the iTunes. So one of his phone messages might pop yeah, yeah, yeah. up, you know, in the yeah. middle of it. I'm on the, I'm on the train. Yeah. Well, we've all been at wedding discos well, when the interference has come in from the local cab firm. And, I you know, suppose In the so. middle of uh, Una Paloma Blanca, so. you get. I thought it was an Arteca record. The word. So Matt, you wanted to plug somebody who'd been in touch on the on the Facebook group. I just wanted to say hello to uh, Anne Marie Adair, who won't actually be hearing this until Christmas, because <laughs> <laughs> Christmas is when apparently she gets back from working with tortoises on the Galapagos Islands, <laughs> so she, which is she, where she is currently listening. So she loads up. On Word six Podcast. Six months. Six months worth of Word Podcast. Off to Costa Rica, mm. on a boat. On a boat, yeah. Well, she goes to Costa Rica, then she gets on a boat. Then she goes to the Galapagos. Galapagos, and, well, Works. tending tortoises. Yeah. So or she's serving going... them or whatever. Yeah, I imagine that the uh, the podcast has the same kind of fits the rhythm of the yeah. tortoises. <laughs> so life. she's she's going to she's going to tend to grizzled hundred year old reptilian yeah. crusty old creatures <laughs> yes. and look after the tortoises as well. Yeah, it's the perfect accompaniment. Well, I think that's absolutely brilliant that she's doing that. So yeah, anybody shout going out to the Galapagos Islands. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Galapagos uh, in the house. And if anybody's you know <laughs> I- listening to it from an even further flung location, we'd love to hear from them. Uh, wordmagazine.co.uk, or you can join the uh, you know the Facebook um, users group, which is now what is it? Thousand and sixty something. It's growing. more than yep. that, I think. Yep. I think we left the Guardian so far behind. <laughs> They're just not even bothering. Eating our dust. They're not even bothering to. <laughs> Uh, to compete anymore. Um, so, uh, th- another thread on the site that people have been contributing to, and I want to know your views on this, was the appropriateness or not of popular music recordings at funerals. Right. You know, which everybody's kind of piling into nowadays. Oh, go on, Matt, you've got something written down. Can go I on. just give a special gold star to the uh, contributor who suggested, says that at his funeral, he wants uh, t- people to leave the church to the tunes of to the strains of Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and also wants to have a caveat written into the, into the uh, note that the vicar gets, asking people to skip out Munchkin-like, if, if so possibly. <laughs> Which would, yeah. I just, I'd like to be at that funeral. But he's not going to do that, is no, he? Well, no. You see, whereas most, most people are going for, I don't know... Um, Angels by Robbie Williams. Angel. Well, somebody <laughs> Which make, put, yeah. they want to jump into the grave. Yeah. Uh, well, Paul Weller was asked this, and famously said that he wanted Going Underground to play at his funeral, which is... Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah, we can we can all have a flip answer, can't we? But did you, people are starting to do this seriously. Yeah. Now, what do you think? Seriously, what do you think of it? I what think you? I think for a certain type of person, which I think a lot of the words listenership and readership are. It's the last chance for them to sit there and go, listen to this, it's really good. Yeah, it's too right. Yeah, you really like this one. And Seven, therefore, 17 I think it's minutes great. of Django Reinhardt, yeah. Well, no, not, no as long can, as it's introduced like that. No one can leave the room uh, or turn so, it off or go, the, what the have you got vicar, next? The vicar says, I can, I'll buy that. The vicar says, Matt Hall left this last request. Yes. That you give another listen to the third Public Enemy album. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. see if you feel about it slightly differently. Yes. That's funny. Yeah. It's not Matt Hall trying to kind of... It's not an act of self-aggrandizement, is it? That's no. what worries me about some of these things. Yeah. You know, it's like having my way played at a funeral. Well, it's like saying, me and Frank, we're like that. 
I remember uh, th- there was a, a vogue in the early 90s for um, rave funerals, you know, when someone had uh, <laughs> died at an early age, possibly as a result of, uh, you know, of, a, of, a, of a naughty Mrs. Mills uh, incident. <laughs> And, you know, they'd forever be buried with, you know, Rosales, everybody's free to feel good, or, you know, some kind of hands-in-the-air euphoric rave moment. Um, this, this was apparently becoming more and more prevalent. I think it's, it's wound down a little bit now since rave is no longer the, uh, you know, big rave's longer, no longer the hot thing that they were. I do remember hearing a story about Peter Sellers once, though, that uh, apparently he famously in life loathed Pennsylvania 65,000 really hated it as a piece of music because then he dies and the funeral of Ecclesis and now we have a piece of music that's going to remind us of Peter and, and it meant a great deal to him and here we go and it comes in of course the, the congregation cannot is trying to stifle itself as the poor old vicars keep it like, well, you see I, I think you should set that's one out last you should set out seriously you should set out to make the congregation laugh yeah rather than cry or kind of do both and so anything that... It's, I know it's difficult at the funeral because it's a few days after a death, you know, so people yeah. are traumatised and so forth. Memorial service is slightly different. Um, but a joke like Matt really wanted you to listen to the third public enemy album, it, it's fine because yeah. it's a release for the, for, the, uh, for the crowd. I, seriously, I, I'd say this as a joke and the more I think about it, the more, I, uh, more I'm determined to do it. Uh, is is I want the recording of Brian Johnston, Christopher Martin Jenkins, uh, or Jonathan Agnew, corpse. uh, corpsing during the test match to be played. Yeah. Because it's just, it's funny. Mm. And, and it makes any bunch of people ever assembled anywhere laugh. Is that the batsman's holding the ball? Uh, no, it's a, it didn't quite get his leg over. Oh, right, okay. oh, do stop it, Agnes. All that Because what people in the congregation at a funeral want to do, they want to let go, don't they? Hmm. It's an incredibly tense thing for people, you know. And, and they just want some excuse to expel that feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. But There's this, Angels by Robbie Williams, I'm sorry, I'm not having it. But this, this, this is uh, you know, the, the, the problem faced by our secular society, isn't it, Dave? You know, religious funerals, yes. you know where you are, you get, abide with me, everybody gets Absolutely. to try, and then it's finished. And so you, you're, kind of, you're, on a, you're on a little yep. little set of train lines, you know where you're going. But in our secular society, where we don't believe in anything anymore, what do you do? I think I'm going to go with Enjoy Yourself, It's Later Than You Think by the specials. Okay. Uh, the other one that, uh, that, that sticks that in mind from the, um, from the thread was the guy who wanted a cardboard coffin painted like Thunderbird 2. And the actual Thunderbird is the. Because it goes down the rack, yeah. But will it then turn <laughs> vertically and be and fired it, into the air? Well, he said it's possible. He'd like the, the congregation to do the, uh, to do the um, palm tree like, swaying as they yeah. let it back. <laughs> so enjoy yourself as late as you think. It's, uh, there's a fantastic little documentary. Uh, made about Warren Zevon just before he died when he was recording his last album and he knew he was on his way out. And, uh, and they asked him if he had any advice or anything to pass on. And he said, enjoy every sandwich. Which I think is the best piece of advice. Of- He's obviously never been to Chapel Market. Always, oh yes! I've always wanted. To, there's a Harry Nielsen number from his kind of lost mid '70s period uh, where the chorus. Uh, he, he brilliantly he got. Um, oh, and old people. He got the old people's choir in to sing it, and the chorus line is, "I'd rather be dead than wet the bed." Than wet my bed. <laughs> and you can see if you go on YouTube, there is a film of him recording that with those people Fantastic. in the studio down at Trident Studios in Soho, uh, from people from an old people's home. 
It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Harry Nielsen. There is no lost period of Harry Nielsen. They're no. all wonderful. Yeah, I, no, I, I'm you totally go, with you on that. But Harry Nielsen record from anywhere. It's always got Yeah, what going. I mean is the, the bit between yeah. the big hits. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't a chart-busting success. Yeah, no. no Funnily no. that. And, and, and uh, fans, uh, gentlemen, uh, mm. we've been had drawn to our attention. Um, have you seen this story? about an obsessed Westlife fan <laughs> yes. who celebrated her birthday by having a tattoo of the band across her shoulders. And you're probably thinking, listeners, which birthday? 17? 15? 23, possibly? No. How old was she, Matt? She was 42, Dave. She was 40, actually. <laughs> oh, was it 40? 40th right. birthday. And there's a picture of her on the BBC website. Vicky Jones from uh, somewhere in Wales. A mother of four has seen 300 Westlife concerts. Yeah, but it's not just... Uh, it's not like, uh, you know, like some heavy metal fans might get the logo of their favourite band, maybe the Motorhead Skull or whatever. No, these are pictorially rendered... Yes. Uh, ...images of the band, each of the four members of the band, portraits across her shoulders, about kind of eight or nine inches high, each of them. Which you think if she flexes her shoulders, <coughs> she can make, what is it, key and wink or something like that? You know, like, but, you know the... Making the, making the thing come out of the battleship in the First World War. But the brilliant bit, if you read the story, she got the photos, she got the, the images done, the portraits done, and she then went to a gig and inveigled her way, I don't know how she met the band, but she met the band, and got them each to sign their autographs underneath the pictures, which she then went and had oh. tattooed on. And that put me in mind of, and I had to go and look it up on YouTube, um, the Alan Partridge mentalist. Yes, with appears. Alan's face yes. on his chest. Where the guy, open, just... I've got, I've got something to yeah. show you, and he takes his photo, he takes his shirt off, and he's got Partridge's head on his chest, and Partridge's words are, "Oh God," <laughs> and, and that must be, you know, even Westlife must, when having seen, you must be they must be going, "Oh God." You see, you the, know, you the set disturbing thing about that, music. I think, I think the disturbing thing about that is Westlife probably thought it was great. I That's don't what think I really no, worry seriously. about. Seriously, come on. Anybody, they set off to be a pop star on any level, in any kind of field, and they want to be successful, they want loads of people come to see them, they want to sell loads of records, be really popular. But the first time that you realise that amongst that herd of people is a hardcore who will do things like that, you must be disturbed. You must find it creepy. You must think, I can't be responsible for this kind well, of thing. Well, uh, presumably, as soon as she left the room, they just went to their head of security and said, that woman Don't is ever let never, her, yeah. ever, ever. Because obviously we're not suggesting that, that she would in any way no, do anything. But, you know, be, belonging in the same group, you know, Westlife don't, probably don't attract John Lennon type, you know, mm. mad devotion. But that's exactly where Mark Chapman sprang from, wasn't it? You know, it's the same... Did earth. he have Westlife tattoos as well? <laughs> I bet he has now. It's the, <laughs> it's, it's the idea that you're prepared to devote that much of your life to thinking about how much you adore somebody. It's absolutely a chilling idea, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, because I'd even go further. I think anybody who regards themselves as a fan is nearly a mental case. No. <laughs> Come on, Dave. You're fans of. You're a fan of things. I don't know if I am actually. I like things. Yeah. I regard myself as a, I don't. I don't sit there and wonder yeah, about what they're doing now. I, I wouldn't. Re, you but know, being a fan of something I is really rush useful. across town to go. That's, and, that's an obsessive fan. Okay. All right. Yeah, but being a fan of something is you know is is a great thing at a certain period in your life. Yeah. So if you're a teen, you know, 
I, I think that it was great that when I was kind of like 16 or 17, I sat outside the Colston Hall all night so I could get tickets for an Echo of the Bunnymen gig. Uh, definitely. Um, but I feel a bit worried if I if went down to do that now. Yeah. yeah. Didn't you sit um, outside the Albert Hall to get tickets for the one yeah, that you were going to next week, mate? <laughs> I think you did. No, I sat up all night on eBay. Yeah, hit, refresh, about, refresh, yeah. refresh, refresh, yes. <laughs> I, I think being a fan of things, there's nothing wrong with it. No, but but, but don't you accept you know, like Matt's point that it, there's, a, there's a time and a place for it? There's an age for it. Yes, and if you're going to get a tattoo of your favourite band, 40 is not the age you wish to do it. You should do it <laughs> well, at the age at of 16 with a, with a compass point in school. And, yes. you, should, and you should spell the name wrong. Spell, well, yeah. well, yeah, um, I heart the battles. I yeah. also thought the, uh, the other fantastic tattoo... Hail Stan. The fantastic yeah. tattoo I remember is uh, Sean Ryder's one oh, yeah. with, with ecstasy. Spelt, spelt wrong. wrong. <laughs> Obviously, it's actually better spelt wrong, yeah. isn't it, really? Somebody's pointing out, I was reading in the papers today, that none of the competitors they'd seen in the Olympics and a bunch of dancers that they'd have to see a ballet performance or something, uh, they were struck by the fact that nobody had a tattoo. See, didn't mo- a lot of the, um, a lot of the uh, British Olympics team had, haven't they got the five rings, kind of? Oh, have they? Um, yeah, well, on, I, on I, their just chest. Kind I don't of, know, one, uh, of the, one, of the, one of the swimmers or... Oh, right. Cyclist, yeah. But not kind of jank, giant. Not like Kevin Peterson, not like the South African yeah. uh, born batsman with a huge grey <laughs> England crest on his, uh, yes. on his arm. No. Yes, that must really please the South Africans, must <laughs> it? Oh, well. So, okay, so, you know, fans of mental cases, discuss <laughs> on, <laughs> on the website. All of you. Wordmagazine.co.uk. Anything else we'd like to say? New issue of Word out this week. Comes out on Thursday. Don't forget to subscribe. John Lennon on the cover. A big story about The Wire, mm-hmm. which we're talking about turning part of it into a podcast. Yeah, we, within the next seven days. Yes. We'll, oh, there's a pledge. There's a pledge. There's a pledge. It, will it be a spoiler-free podcast, Dave? That's no, what I want to no, know. No, it can't. Well, it well, might be. It's pretty non-specific. Yeah. Interview. Yeah, yeah. Because okay. I'm only on series two. Yeah, well... But yeah, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll... Okay, all the way through <laughs> the podcast, every five minutes, will be spoiler alert. Right. Okay. Let's go and see if anybody's got back from Bestival. I sincerely doubt it. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk.